From Vine Pairs New York City headquarters, I'm Adam Teeter. And I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. Hey guys, what's going on? How you doing? Pretty good, you know. It's uh I had the uh I'm having the the very strange juxtaposition of leaving cold, rainy Seattle for a couple of days for warm, sunny Napa mm-hmm. Valley. Are you there now? I'm not there as we record. Through the magic of uh, time dilation, I will be back in Seattle by the time anyone else hears this. So I will have gone. You're going for the week. Cold to hot to cold. Yes, just a very short trip. Uh, do you fly or do you drive? Oh, I fly. It, dry, it is a long, long drive. Where do you fly into, though, from Seattle? Uh, generally speaking, SFO. Uh, okay, so you, told, so you then still have to get from SFO. There's not, like a, there's not like a closer airport you could go to. I mean, I don't know. You could, I mean, Oakland is maybe technically slightly closer to Napa, but it's not that much closer. And there are a lot fewer flights to Oakland, even from Seattle, than from uh, than to San Francisco. And I mean, there's an airport in Napa, like near Napa, or you can fly to Sacramento. Again, it's about kind of the same distance. But again, San Francisco just has way more flight options. So Cool. And so I since I don't want to wake up at the crack of dawn, I mean, I'm waking up pretty early to go there, but I don't wake up any earlier than I have to. Yeah. I'm glad you'll be in Napa. I just got back, as you know. I know. I know. You've been uh, you've been well-traveled. Did you, I, I want to know, what uh, was there anything exciting you had there? Yeah, man. I had a lot of, I had a lot of stu- exciting stuff to drink. Um, but before we jump into me, why don't we start with you? Oh, throwing it right back at me, my God. No, I, I, like, I, like I like it that way. <laughs> you, like to, you like to close the deal. I get it. It's okay. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> we, had a, we had a nice bottle of wine for Mother's Day, which was kind of fun. Uh, an 04 Kuruti from uh, Rene Roystang. Okay. Um, nice. and I took, went out to uh, one of our favorite restaurants with our kids, uh, which was, you know, um, dining with the children is always an adventure although they were both actually quite well behaved which was fun and uh we got a lot of uh attention from the service staff because they were impressed that our children were eating elk um which elk. is not a thing a lot of kids have <laughs> what a palate man so do you are you like are you, are you palate training them i mean yes because that's just how we eat and we we have been very firm believers with both kids that like they just mostly eat what we eat we don't really kinda, like i was we were both very much with with Saul, our, our older child that like we're not doing purees. We're not buying cans of jars of baby food or whatever. We're not spoon feeding them, like literally. Uh, and we just kind of, you know, did a little bit of reading and and figured, like, you know, he'll he'll like what he likes and he'll taste what we eat. And he's, you know, he's definitely as an almost four year old more like there are things he won't eat that when he was like two he would eat because like he didn't really have the he wasn't gonna have favorites in the same way but he's quite adventurous and lila who's seven months old will stick in her mouth whatever we give her whether it's food or not so (laughs) working out okay how about you joanna yeah um i i've had a bunch of like mediocre cocktails recently you know just they were fine i drank them but like not, nothing really stood out. Is that worse than getting a bad cocktail? I feel like it might be worse than getting a bad cocktail. Well, I have nothing to talk about then. Exactly right. right. Yeah. <laughs> so really, just all mediocre. Oh, well, I had one drink last night. I went to dinner with my brother for his birthday to a place called Nudabrank. I think that's how you say it. I'm so sorry if it's incorrect. <laughs> like, um, like named after the sea creatures. Yes. Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. I had a. Uh, I had a. Their take on a martini, which had a white anchovy on it. And also okay. like a pickled pepper. Um, and and it, I think it had some of the anchovy oil on it as well. So that was good and interesting to me. And I liked it a lot. But the others? But the others were, they did have a, there was another banana rum drink. That <laughs> 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 but this one had egg white in it. Ooh, and it was, it was no. like, it was just a little too much. Yeah. It was like too Not rich. Yeah. With all of those flavors. So. 
but I like to try things. So I'm, I'm happy to try them. But the martini, I think, was the best thing I've had recently. Okay. And it wasn't served too cold? Nope. It was perfectly perfect temperature. Not too cold. <laughs> Not too warm either. Wow. Hate that. Yeah. Um, Adam, tell us about Napa and anything else. And anything else. So, yeah, I got to go to Napa last weekend for the 50th anniversary of uh, Chateau Montalena, which was pretty awesome. Fancy. Very crazy party. Like, man, those wine people can drink. What was it? We'll just assume that our invitations were lost in the mail. I mean, (laughs) yeah, yeah, assume away. It was really, it was a lot of fun, but it was definitely like it was a party for their friends and family, uh, of which there were 800 people. Uh (laughs) Closest friends and family. Yeah. And so basically anyone that had has had anything to do with Montalina in the last 50 years, we've been obviously big champions of them since the beginning. They've been really great to Vine Pair and, you know, really seen us as a, you know, publication they care about. And we've obviously reviewed and rated their wines really well and um, written about them a bunch. So they invited me out, which was awesome. And the theme was solid gold. And I didn't know I was going to Burning Man, but I was. Uh, which, you know, again, look at that's how the, a Napa wants to unwind. You know, it's just funny because when you think about a Napa part, I, we were all saying we were joking about it. Like Naomi came with me that, you know, you think Napa, so you think, oh, like black tie or whatever, because it's sort of the opinion that we all have of Napa. And you forget they're farmers, especially the ones right. that still own their wineries, right? So, the, you know, Chateau Montalina is still owned by the Barrett family. It's not a big company that now owns the winery and is going to put on pomp and circumstance. And so this family-owned, you know, premium, premier winery just wants to party. <laughs> and so that's what happened. They had a dude shooting steam out of two like weird water guns <laughs> like As you know you do. dudes on stilts and they opened a lot of really crazy crazy wine which was pretty awesome i got to have like a 1982 cabernet sauvignon i got to have a 1973 chardonnay a 1984 chardonnay a 1976 chardonnay uh a 1979 cabernet sauvignon so that was pretty awesome they made a uh, special wine for the 50th anniversary, a shard that came from the three original vineyards that were in the Chardonnay that they, you know, made for the Judgment of Paris that they won. Um, and that was really amazing. Of course, like when I asked about the wine, they're like, oh, we already sold it out. <laughs> like it's completely sold out. Um, but that's fine. I, that's that's awesome for them. And then they're pouring it out of Magnums at the party. And then prior to the party, I got to go like just have a date night with Naomi that Friday night. And we had uh, Hirsch Vineyards, uh, the Bohen Dillon, which is a just awesome Pinot Noir. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was those were the wines I had last weekend. And then sort of took some time off. When I got back, sure. but last night I had a drinks meeting and went back to double chicken, please. And you know, what did you get? Oh gosh. So I had the Japanese cold noodles. I really enjoy that. Is that like sesame oil? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's kind of daiquiri esque. I think it has. Okay. A, what is the base spirit there? Oh God. I don't even know. I don't remember. I mean, I could look it up. Hold on. They, they said, they tell, they tell all in, uh, in double chicken, please. But I had the Japanese cold noodles. I had the cold pizza. Okay. Which I also think is very good. And then I had, they, like when we were leaving, they were like, oh, we want, oh, like Vine Pear, like we want to send you guys a shot. And they sent us a shot out, which is called the double chicken, please shot, which is like illegal mezcal plum and shiso. Mm-hmm. But so the Japanese cold noodle is, is rum as the oh. base. And that's pineapple, cucumber, coconut, lime, and sesame oil. Oh, that's okay. so good. Yeah, and the cold pizza is is Blanco tequila, 
Parmigiano-Reggiano, burnt toast, tomato, basil, honey, and egg whites. It's fucking cool. It's wow. really definitely really cool. not a definitely not a cocktail where you'd want to ask for a substitution. No, you would not. No, you would not. These are cool. These are. I mean, but this is like you know probably the most inventive bar in New York, and like yeah. you're you're there to eat sort of eat the drinks if that makes sense. Um, you know, they're not they're doing they do classics, but they really would rather you do their cocktails. Sure. Um, yeah, it was very cool. It was very cool. So speaking of cocktails, some data was released recently uh, that you know the sort of what we would call ultra premium or, you know, the other super term for premium. super premium gin brands are really growing. Mm-hmm. Um, like they've, the sales have been really well. So this is gins at the very, very high end. We're talking like Monkey 47, Hendrix, Citadel, Gunpowder, Botanist, like really on fire. And so, you know, it's made me wonder with some other things I'd like to talk about with you guys, like is gin finally kind of having its moment? Like are people finally coming to gin like what could be explaining especially on the super high-end gins rise because on the low end we're not seeing as much right right and so i think what that says to me first of all is you know perhaps this idea that the gin and tonic what it was like the ambassador cocktail for gin has been wrong right right because i don't think a lot of these high-end gins are used in gin and tonics at least not that often right maybe you could say oh i love a hendrix gin and tonic but you know, I really think more about, and this is what's so confusing about alcohol, is that the, the premium plus gins, which are right, a row right below that, that's where you find Tanqueray. Tanqueray 10 is a, is a, um, is a super, a super premium or whatever, but premium plus you find like Tanqueray, Bombay, Sapphire, et cetera. That category has been kind of flat according to the article. And that's where I really see people use, using those gins for gin and tonic. Mm-hmm. On the high end, like I don't, I would never put Monkey Forty Seven in a gin and tonic, right? So that's ultra, yeah, that's ultra, right? So are we? So is this rise of gin actually Mm -hmm. because finally people are embracing like true gin cocktails, and is that? And look, we've been saying this forever at Vine Pair. That was what we thought was going to push gin forward. That it wasn't going to be the gin and tonic, Um, and is and is that what's happening? Because it's really interesting to see all of a sudden that on the very high end of gin, it's kind of blowing up. I'm curious what you both right. think and why you think that gin on the super high end is exploding. I have a thought. I, I was having this conversation last night with my brother because he drinks vodka martinis. Mm-hmm. And he used to be, from what I recall when I was younger, he was a gin drinker. Yeah. So I was like, you know, when was the last time you had a gin martini? Because those are what's very popular right now. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you know, I, I don't know. I think I just like totally burned myself out on bad gin and tonics Yeah. that I kind of stopped drinking gin. And what I think is that, like you said, Adam, like the cocktails where gin really shines, like a martini, they're coming back in a like really strong way right now. I mean, the Negroni, but that's not really a gin cocktail, is it? Right. But like a gin martini where you need a good gin and like they're really popular. And that's where I think th- this this category is having success. And do you think it's just the martini? Like, um, what, what, what else is there where it's like that apart from? I mean, I think the, the challenge is like you don't even really like. I think it's it's almost exclusively the martini from where I sit, and maybe like martini, you know, kind of variants like a Gibson or a Gimlet. Even right. yes, that's what's what I was trying to be the Gimlet. Sorry, Zach, is what I was thinking as well because I sure. I love a Gimlet. Right. <laughs> but I think like to justify these ultra premium gins, you need the transparency of a cocktail like. Um, the martini. And to some extent, I actually, I a little bit disagree with you on the take that people are not using these gins in gin and tonics. But I think what you've seen in kind of the, the sort of combined rise of 
really high quality mixers, tonics and otherwise over the last couple of decades that are really kind of industry standard in bars and and even for a lot of you know people who are home drinkers. Like I'll use my both my parents separately as examples. Both of them are are gin and tonic drinkers on the regular and both of them my you know dad when too. I think it's a generational thing. Hmm. To some extent, but like yeah. but my but I remember with both of my parents um and they've been divorced since I was a little kid so this is like not the two of them together, but um each of them separately you know, transitioning from having like, you know, a big thing of, you know, a one or two liter container of Canada Dry or Schweppes or whatever in the fridge to like, now they both buy like, you know, Fever Tree or Q or one of these other like higher quality tonics. And those also allow, I think, just you to have the sense of I'm making a a high quality cocktail, I'm using a high quality mixer, and I'm gonna use a high quality gin. And I don't mean to say that either of my parents are out there buying some of the absolute top of the market. It's more often like I give it to them. Um, But they appreciate it. They come over and drink it for sure. And uh, was that always? Uh, I would or... say the last five years or so um, yeah. is what I've kind of noticed. But I think that more than anything else, it's that we have we are in this era with gin where you have kind of all these different things happening. You have more of these kind of ultra premium gins on the market. You also have, I think, a really exciting and robust sort of localized markets for gin, mm. um, where you have people really pushing forward. Um, kind of interesting takes on gin. We've talked a little bit about this in the podcast in, in various ways. Whether you know whether they're localized to regions in, regions in the U.S. or whether you're talking about you know being able to get a, a range of gins from Japan or from Scotland or from other parts of the world. But there are more gin expressions than ever before, right now, right? Yes, yeah, absolutely. And th- but all of those kind of you you if you're going to be the kind of person who's going to buy one of those bottles or or even try one of them at a bar you kind of are inherently going to be looking for the expression of that spirit that's going to be give you the most of it so that's going to be a martini maybe a gin and soda you right. know if you like it kind of on the really kind of naked side or if or or a gin and tonic if you want a little of that sweetness yeah and i think that like the, those those drinks being popularized, and again, especially the revival of the martini and the gin martini at that, yes. is really pushing these these spirits to the fore. Yeah, well, it's, all, it's it's following everything else with premiumization, right? Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It is. I think it's it's interesting too because I, I hear what you're saying, Zach. I think you know. I think what's what's interesting is that there's no one answer. Um, because like if I'm looking at this list, right? So the top the top gin brands right now in the U.S. and all the ones that have experienced growth. So number one, Hendrix, then Citadel, then Empress 1908, which I want to come back to because that yes. one's really interesting. Then Drum Shanbo Gunpowder, which I actually used to be a huge, I still am pretty big fan of Gunpowder. I think it's a really great gin. Botanist Roku, which another great gin. Not yeah. only, I'm only glad of the ones that I think are newer people might not know. Ford's London Dry. Hey, that's yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, Fords. the Fords is considered the super premium, but it does not price it that. Not? Right. That's so I'm very confused by that because it's actually I thought around more of the like the pricing of a Tanqueray, but right. Monkey Forty Seven, Malfi, and then Sipsmith. Right. And I think for some of these, you're right, uh, Zach. I definitely think of them as sort of gin and tonic gins. Like I know a lot of people who like Hendrix and tonic is their gin and tonic order, yep. or like botanist and tonic and especially Fords, you know, but then like, I think of Citadel as a martini gin. I, I use gunpowder as a, as a martini gin. Roku is a martini gin. Monkey um, 47. Monkey 47 for sure. It's just yeah. too expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's out of those, I mean, this, out of this list, it's by far the most expensive. Sipsmith would tell you it's a gin and tonic gin because it's, it's literally a creation of like London, England. And that's what they fucking drink there. Um, I think your point about it being also all these, 
new tonics is, is very good because it does make it feel like a much more of a premium drink then. Because I think that pro- the problem, one of the reasons that gin and tonic has failed to grow for such a long time is that you had, like, why would you ever take They're bad. tonic off the gun? Right. Which yeah. Gross. And then mix it with these premium gins and then pay 15 or $16 for it. So I think, and I'm wondering if it's a little bit of both, right? People are, have now noticed what the gin tastes like on its own if they've had it in a martini. They're like, oh, then this is the same gin I want to use. I'll use it in a gin and tonic, but now I want my tonic to be better. I yeah, think, interesting. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. it's, I think, you know, and then the gimlet I think is, could be a big summer drink. Um, we'll see. I don't think you it's going to be summer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's, no, I think it's on its way because we love sours. And if gin yeah. does keep growing, it's an easy one to slot in because with a high quality gin and, you know, good lime, et cetera, the gimlet's a delicious drink. Right. It's basically a gin daiquiri, right? Or something like that. So that's delicious. The one that's a, a big outlier here that I thought would be fun to spend a little bit of time talking about that was Empress 1908. Yes. Because I want to, before we get into that, I want to say one more thing about yes. martini that I, that I meant to mention, which is the other reason why I think that the revival of the martini and its correlation with gin sales is so interesting is because with a lot of other, of the other uh, spirits categories that we've talked about experiencing premiumization and and growth, things like tequila, things like uh, bourbon and other whiskeys and stuff like that, there is a really natural way to ex- to sample those expressions. And it's like neat, yes. um, along with lots of other ways. And you can certainly mix some of them in cocktails. And gin just very few people want to drink gin neat, especially like room temp gin neat. I mean, there are those people for sure. I've served them in the past, <laughs> really? but, but really? most people, yeah, it's a, they're, they're a, they're a rare breed for sure. <laughs> uh, but like most people want their gin at least chilled down, if not, yeah. you know, mixed with ver- a little bit of vermouth or uh, tonic or soda or something. Right. And so what's cool is like that, the rise of the martini and the sort of return of it to prominence in, in, and not just for a certain kind of longtime martini drinker means that people have a sort of permission structure to go try a lot of different gins in a way that maybe a few years ago they just didn't. There wasn't there wasn't a kind of I mean, even though the martini is obviously one of the most famous cocktails out there, it wasn't kind of culturally relevant. And so now I think you have this platform for people to discover all these different gins and to understand how, you know, some of these different gins that we've been talking about in this category are really quite different in a way that someone five or 10 years ago was learning about, you know, different bourbons or even different forms of whiskey, whether that was through, you know, tastes neat or even in classic cocktail formulations. But but gin has never had that neat, you know, kind of sipped neat uh, identity. Right. I think also we're seeing more martinis on menus versus people just ordering them. And I think that's an opportunity for bartenders to, you know, highlight a selected gin in a way that people haven't seen before, to your point, Zach. Yeah. Yeah. And it puts a premium on choosing that gin, um, which again is, I think, a really fascinating thing. Sometime maybe we'll have a conversation about, you know, kind of how bars choose well and sort of house spirits. And it's a fascinating process I've been part of because it's really, you do say a lot about your identity as a bar uh, when you do that. But it's in that space that you kind of, when you are not leaving the martini as a call drink, so it's actually on your menu, and you are sort of saying, we think this expression, um, whatever it is, is maybe not the you know, best, but it's one we really love and we want to share it with you. And that's a, that's a cool thing too, that again, yeah, gets people to, to try it. Right. So now let's go back to the, uh, to the other issue at hand, which is, I think the weirdest gin on this list, and I don't mean weird, (laughs) but which is Empress. And I think Empress is so interesting because Empress is this this gin that sort of seems to have come out of nowhere in the last five years. It's yeah, grown it's pretty new, right? Very new. It's grown very fast. 
and it changes colors. It changes color. Because it has butterfly pea flower in it. Yeah. And so it changes from like a bluish to a pink. To pink. Mm-hmm. Um, especially when tonic hits it. So again, therefore, you know, th- th- you're not making a martini with Empress, right? Or you're probably not making a martini with Empress. You're probably making a gin and tonic because it makes a really beautiful gin and tonic. And it's exploded. Because of TikTok. TikTok. Right. So they are they are probably the brand that more than any other alcohol brand right now in the US, I have seen all over TikTok. And I think it's really caused their sales to explode. You know, they were in they were on Instagram a little bit, but they've gone completely viral. I mean, look, it's a it's a liquid that has a viral a, has the ability to go viral, right? right. It changes colors mm-hmm. and people Well, like and that. it's like so perfectly suited. It's not even perfect. It's it's good on Instagram, but it's so perfect on TikTok because you can watch it happen. Right. And that's where I think it sets apart from like we've talked a little bit in episodes in the past about other kind of co- interestingly colored spirits, whether they whether whatever the color may be. But but something about that 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 yeah, the transition of color is yeah, it's just it's it's cool. super popular in bars because you can watch it happen and it's super popular on TikTok because again you can watch the transformation happen and it's like a little magic trick in your glass. Have you guys ever had those ma- matchbox cars that turn color? What? When you were like what? Oh yeah, in the bathtub. Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. Like, what? Like- I think it plays on the same sense of wonderment. <laughs> well, it's really funny actually now that you mentioned it, like things that change color because um for this 50th anniversary uh Chardonnay that Chateau Montalena did they they did a cold activated label like it's oh. Coors Light, and oh so when, so when the when, the when the Chardonnay is cooled to the proper temperature, fireworks come out on the label. Whoa. And I was like, I was like, that's actually kind of funny. And they're like, yeah, like it's blowing up on like on social of people taking pictures of it now that they've gotten the bottle. I'm like, yeah, of course it is because yeah. it's one of these things that's just really fun that then people want to share. It's like people like that when it comes to to anything but spirits especially like the i don't want to call it gimmicky it's a little yeah it's a little gimmicky but it's fun but it's fun mm-hmm. right so i think that's why this gin has been because i'll say i've had it it's it's nothing amazing I have not had it. it's nothing amazing mm-hmm. it's it's a fine yeah. gin but the fact that it changes color i brought it before to like uh to the beach with naomi's family and like her parents and like her sister and brother and their partners and whatever I'm like oh my god this is so cool because it is i mean when you watch it happen you're just like that is amazing. And then my sister-in-law was like, I got to get a bottle. Right. You know, because she wants to have it when her friends come over and they see it for the first time. How and, much is it? Uh, it's not cheap. Um, I'll, I have to look it up right now because I don't know off the top of my head. But again, we're, we know it's sitting in that that ultra premium category. So if I'm searching it right now, right now in New York, $45 at Total Wine & More right now. Yeah, yeah. $45, $45. It's not cheap. Yeah. That's not cheap. No. That's not cheap. Well, it's funny too because I think like there's an interesting piece to this, which is like to what extent does the appeal of the you know whatever the I don't want to call it gimmick exactly because I again I think that's maybe a little unfair to it, but the the, the appeal of the sort of visual transformation, um, I wonder if it we're going to see the kind of like you know it's, it, it rarely reminds me of some of the gimmickry or whatever the the sort of trendy stuff we've seen in in seltzer where like you know something is is super popular because it's like you want to show it off or you want to try it or you're interested in it and then it doesn't last on the other hand i will say this we've had a you know empress because it's uh, based in british columbia so just to the north of me has actually been in the seattle market for quite a Mm -hmm. while and um we would we had a cocktail on our list for a while that used it and it was quite popular and and somewhat to my surprise we actually we get people who would like order more than one of them i thought it was kind of like an interesting drink but not but more for the visual than for the because you always change colors yeah, like like yeah. If you made a martini, does it change colors? 
I believe it would, yeah. So like as long as it's mixed with something else, it goes to pink. She's not 100% on the science there. Uh, I don't know how butterfly tea, pea flower works because that's yeah. what's in it. Right. But yes. it's fucking fascinating. But it's yeah. at the very least, it's like a purple or blue martini. Yeah. Right? Yeah, because even if it doesn't change color, it's a very pretty color, you mm-hmm. know, kind of before it goes through its transformation um, to say nothing of how it finishes. And I think that... Yeah, it's just, it's an interesting, you know, it makes me wonder if like, you know, I remember having a conversation with someone a while back about how, you know, there's these, there's a whole range of, of spirits that kind of don't change color, but sort of do change visual appeal. You see this with like absinthe and yeah. and things in that category. But unfortunately for them, they go from like a vibrant, bright green to like kind of a muddy greenish, yellowish. It's like not that pretty, to look at, <laughs> right? which is definitely not the case with Empress. Like it's still a very pretty color kind of no matter where it is, uh, purple or pink it's funny talking about this now like i it is interesting to me that you you haven't seen a lot of other clear spirits play with color this way and i feel like that's a, well we've seen something charcoal right but there's there seems to be like such an opportunity here right like to do this i mean pink whitney come on yeah i guess pink whitney but that's a very different group of people <laughs> is the reason that that with the exception of empress like you're talking about something that is going to read as very gimmicky i mean we are maybe in this era of rediscovering some like colored spirits like you know maybe blue curacao is having yeah. a bit of a moment or something um whether it's through tropical drinks or again through you know social media stuff like that but like i do think that it's pretty hard to not come up like if you're like here's my neon orange gin like people are going to kind of be like well like, i don't want that no i think yeah like give me like the color change but i guess yeah if butterfly pea flower is the only thing that does this then you can't all do it right because it's right. like well then they all do you're all just copying empress so i mean look the, this was brilliant that they chose to do this in the beginning brilliant yes, very. brilliant i mean to to be a brand that's exploded that fast and at that high end i mean and i think they're still independent and um. so is that what it says on the list? I think it does say on the list. I mean, they would be, right? Because if, if they weren't independent, they, I don't think they would be messing around as much on TikTok. That's kind of the, a lot of the bigger alcohol companies tend to stay away because there's a lot of, you know, fear there. So yeah, Azure Spirits. Azure Spirits I think that's yeah. still them. I mean, yeah. they they grew more than anyone else on this list. They 120%. Went, I mean, insane. Insane. Yeah. To become the third largest super premium brand that's insane and that's basically all tiktok yeah so i want to ask you guys one last question about gin before we we leave it do you guys have a favorite i know this is a difficult question (sighs) there's a lot i like favorite of the moment let's say but let's say joanna like what would your call i think it's maybe not a favorite what would your what would your normal call be like if you went to order a martini and they said what gin what gin are you choosing i think the last time i did this which was kind of recently but i think it was hendrix yep or i think it was i think i Done it with Tanqueray 10 too. That's that's uh, Josh's call usually is Hendrix. Because I feel like it, they reliably have that. Yes. Zach, what would your call be? Well, I guess if I'm looking for something that I'm confident that the bar will have, I've always been a big fan of Plymouth. Um, Plymouth. Oh, I like and I'm Plymouth. relatively confident in that. But I actually, we mentioned it uh, in passing before. I really, Roku is probably my favorite, um, like kind of if they have it um, and I always have it at home. I just think it's, it's such an interesting like a little bit more delicate, subtle flavors, which yeah. I kind of dig. Um, but it makes just like a super, it's like a weird way to describe a martini in some cases, although I know Tim McCurdy will agree with me. It makes like an incredibly drinkable martini, yeah, it does. which I dig. <laughs> so for me, if it's funny because it's not on the list. So sometimes I would I would ask for Fords, but no, almost no one seems to have it. I think that's probably going to change yes. because I think they're making a big push. Uh, I usually ask for a Tanqueray 10, which yeah. again is hit or miss. They'll be like, do you want Tanqueray? I'll be like, no. Yeah, exactly. So then I'll usually, usually wind up with Hendrix or Citadel. But 
I'm seeing Roku more and I actually like Roku the most as well. Zach, I agree with you. I'm now like seeing it in like airports and stuff at the bars, which is a good sign. So I feel like again, Beam Centauri is like starting to really push. Yeah, say, that it's not, it is not uh, Empress. It has a, a big old company yeah. behind it. Yeah. And then the, the only one on this list that like I will never call for, but I love having at home is Monkey 47. But again, wow. it's because it's so expensive. Yeah. It's just like, yeah. you know, I, I know why everyone likes it and I like it too. But for a gin to be as pricey as it is and often in the half bottle, you know, the, the, the 375 or whatever, I just like 80 bucks. Right? Yeah. And I've just never. And so like you make like four martinis with it. You're like, okay, that well, that, there, there was the bottle. There was that <laughs> bottle. You know, I basically made like $30 martinis at home. I just, it's, it's a very hard gin for me to feel like as much as I love it. It's something that I could drink all the time. So, so I'm, that's why I'm, I'm even, I'm even more surprised that it grew by 20% even, which again, it actually has the lowest growth. It's kind of tied with Hendrix in terms of the lowest growth uh, over the last year or whatever, but it still grew. Right. Yeah. Twenty percent isn't nothing. It's not, no, it's no. not nothing. It's just it's just not not no hundred and twenty percent. Yeah. Well, guys, this has been interesting. If you have a favorite gin, let us know. Podcast at vinepair.com. Always curious. And if you think there's another gin cocktail that's really helped fuel this growth that has not been the mar- that has not been the martini, um, you know, or maybe the gin and tonic. Let us know. Yeah. You know, got a favorite gin cocktail we didn't think about? Shoot us an email. And uh, guys, I'll talk to you Friday. See you Friday. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. Vine Pair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping me make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tastings Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.